Could we stand together in honor of God's word? If you've got a Bible, we're in 1 Kings 12. We'll have the words right up on the screen here if you want to follow along. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone there to make him king. When Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard this, he was still in Egypt where, where he had fled from King Solomon. He returned from Egypt. So they sent for Jeroboam, and he went, and the whole assembly of Israel went to Rehoboam and said to him, your father put a heavy yoke on us now, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. Rehoboam answered, go away for three days and then come back to me. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime. How would you advise me to answer these people, he asked. They replied, if today you will be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. But Rehoboam rejected the advice that the elders gave him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. He asked them, what is your advice? How should we answer these people who say to me, lighten the yoke your father put on us? The young men who had grown up with him replied, these people have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Now tell them, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. Three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to Rehoboam And the king had said, come back to me in three days. The king answered the people harshly, rejecting the advice given him by the elders. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I thank you for your word. It's a burning fire. Would you burn in our hearts? Would you educate our minds? Lord, we want to be one with you. Just just as Renee said, let your light and your love fill this place because you are good and your intention is good toward us. We humble ourselves now to receive your word. Please, God, hide me behind the cross, I pray. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. amen. You may be seated. So when the children of Israel, and and the name Israel comes from, it was Abraham, then Isaac, then Jacob, and Jacob had this experience where kind of God broke him and changed his name from Jacob, which is deceiver, to Israel. So they became, he he had 12 sons, and so they became known as the Israelites, and then they went down to Egypt, and then they were there for 400 years, and then God brought them back up. Uh, through Moses into the promised land. And uh, Joshua was the one that brought them into the promised land. And after they were in the land, uh, the Bible says a generation arose that didn't know, uh, didn't remember God's works. And they, they, they were the second generation. They didn't see the miracles themselves. And Um, Israel went into kind of a slump where they would keep falling back into sin, back into idolatry, and God would raise up a judge. And so that's the period of the judges. The last one of those judges is a guy named Samuel. 
So first and second Samuel tells the story of the last judge of Israel, Samuel, and about the two kings that Samuel anoints. The people didn't, didn't like the judge system. They wanted to have a king. They looked at all the other nations, and God said, go ahead and give them a king. And so Samuel anoints first Saul, and Saul ends up, he ends up rejecting Saul because Saul is, pleases, is, is a man pleaser, and God raises up David, who's the man after God's own heart. And, and so 2 Samuel ends with uh, David's story. Then we have the, story, our, our, the book of First Kings. First Kings tells the story of the third king, King Solomon. And then it tells about what happened to Israel. This is where the Bible gets very confusing. And as you read Kings, and as you read the rest of the story, it's very easy to be absolutely lost in what is happening. Because here's what happens. So at this point, it's under Solomon, they're called the Israelites. Then with this event, we'll see this today, the kingdom divides. Ten of the tribes go north, Ten of the, or two of the tribes are south. From now on, the Bible calls this upper ten tribes, the northern kingdom, Israel, and calls the southern kingdom Judah. So now you've got two, you, we used to just have the Israelites, now the Israelites are, are these ten tribes, the northern kingdom, and Judah is the southern kingdom. So the, the rest of the Bible, this is what we're going to have. The capital of the northern kingdom called Israel is Samaria. The capital of the southern kingdom called Judah is Jerusalem. The reason why it's called Judah is there's two tribes in the southern kingdom, Judah and Benjamin. Judah is a lot bigger than Benjamin, so it's called Judah. And so they start being called Jews because of Judah. So now, it used to be the Israelites were all one people. Now we've got Israelites and we have Jews. One is the northern kingdom, one is the southern kingdom, and this is going to continue for a long time. And so if you don't... If you don't grasp this division, it's very hard to understand all the prophets. Are they prophesying to these people, these people? Who, who, who becomes what? Well, this is why it becomes confusing, is because of the division. So today we're going to talk about the divided kingdom. Point one is why did the kingdom divide? Saul was a bad king. David was a good king. Solomon was both good and bad. He loved God. He worshiped God. He's the one that built the temple. But he also loved women. And he took all of these wives, and, and he took all these wives from all these different countries, and his wives brought their gods from other countries and to please them, he would build temple for their gods and he would, he would worship both places. And so he ended up with this divided heart. And as a judgment for his divided heart, God said, I'm going to divide the kingdom. 
because of your unfaithfulness to me. So a prophet named Ahijah comes to this guy named Jeroboam. And in 1 Kings 11, 37 and 38, he says this. However, as for you, I will take you and you will rule over all that your heart desires. You will be king over Israel. If you do whatever I command you and walk in obedience to me and do what is right in my eyes by obeying my decrees and commands, as David, my servant, did. I will be with you. I will build a dynasty as enduring as the one I built for David and will give Israel to you. So he, he, he anoints him with oil and he, he rips this thing into 12 pieces and he gives 10 of them to Jeroboam and he makes this unbelievable prophecy that God's going to, if he'll just follow God and obey God, God is going to give him 10, 10 of the tribes. He is going to make him great. He'll make him as great as David if he will obey God. The generosity of God, amazing. So this is, this is the prophecy that's come, but the actual event happens when these, when all Israel, including Jeroboam, come before Rehoboam, Solomon's son, and say, if you will lighten our load, if you will serve us, if you will lead us by serving instead of lead us by controlling, we will gladly be your servants and follow you. Rehoboam answers harshly. And this is the point that the kingdom divides and they make Jeroboam their leader. So that's point one. Isn't this moving along quickly? <laughs> point two, why was the northern kingdom eventually destroyed? All right, I'm going to read Joshua 22, 28, 29, because you can't really grasp what happens without a little history. And we said, if they ever say this to us or to our descendants, we will answer. Look at the replica of the Lord's altar, which our ancestors built, not for burnt offerings and sacrifices, but as a witness between us and you. Far be it from us to rebel against the Lord and turn away from him today by building an altar for burnt offerings, grain offerings, and sacrifices other than the altar of the Lord our God that stands before his tabernacle. So here's what happens. They came into the promised land and two and a half tribes stayed east of the Jordan, Reuben, Gad, and the half tribe of Manasseh. And after they get into the promised land, Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh build this altar. And the rest of the Israelites that have just conquered the promised land, they literally freaked out. And they, they get all of the army together, and they are going to go wipe out these two-and-a-half tribe because of this altar they built. I mean, it is, it is, we are going to destroy you. And you're like, why are you guys so excited? Here's why. God in the law made it very clear that he was going to make a place of worship. 
And that was the only place real worship happened. That he was going to set, he made a priesthood. Those were the only priests that could minister. God had established a tabernacle. And eventually there would be a permanent place, but for now there was a tabernacle. And any other worship except in that tabernacle was man's religion, not God's. And so he had given all of these things. And the difficulty is, is if, if one group sins, it affects everybody. So when these guys build an altar that's different than the one God established, they get the army. We need to, we need to absolutely wipe them out. And so they get there, they're ready, they're, the, the army is all ready, and the priest uh, or the, the people of Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh come and say, what's going on? And they're like, um, you guys just built an altar. We're, we're, we're going to go to war. And they said, no, 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 no. This is not what you think it is. We get it. God's going to make a place. And that's, that's the only place. This is to remind us that we can only worship at God's place. There's not going to be any sacrifices here. This is so that you will know we have not forgotten who we are. Even though we're on the other side of the Jordan, we will not forget our identity. We want you to know this, this isn't for worship or sacrifices. This is a reminder to us and to you of who we are, that we are part of you. And the Israelites go, okay, that works. God is very holy, and he only has one place of true worship. The fact that they were on the other side of the Jordan, no big deal. The fact that there were 12 different tribes, no big deal. Their worship brought them together. Jerusalem, the altar, it started out to be the tabernacle. Now it is the temple. This is the place. All of their diversity doesn't matter because they're unified in their worship. Worship happens in Jerusalem. Worship happens in the temple. Sacrifices are made there. There are God-appointed priests. Unity comes because of the presence of God. So how, how can God say to Jeroboam, I'm going to make your kingdom as great as David? Here's why. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if there's two kings. It doesn't matter if there's a southern kingdom and a northern kingdom. As long as worship continues, the identity is not in what tribe I'm in or which king I'm under. It's in God. It's in my worship. It is in who God is. That identity transcends all others. So God could bless Jeroboam. The reason why he left Rehoboam with two tribes is because that's where the promises are coming that he promised to David. And so he leaves them. But it's not going to matter that there's two. Both could be fully blessed and they could be one people through worship. So here's the problem. Here's what happens. 1 Kings 12, 26 to 29, Jeroboam thought to himself, the kingdom will now likely revert to the house of David. If these people go up to offer sacrifices at the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, they will again give their allegiance to their Lord 
Rehoboam, king of Judah. They will kill me and return to King Rehoboam. After seeking advice, the king made two golden calves. He said to the people, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. He set a golden calf up in Dan, and he set another one up in Bethel. There was one in the north, one in the south, and this was going to be our new place of worship. He made his own priests. He made his own holidays, and people went along with this, and they were continued to be religious, but were no longer worshiping in reality. Religion without relationship. And this, the whole thing comes from the insecurity of a leader. A leader who started as a nobody, God's anointed him, God supernaturally gives him 10 tribes. There's no way he could have gotten those 10 tribes himself. He didn't run for office. He didn't run for a campaign. It was supernaturally given to him by God's grace. And he's given this overwhelming promise. This guy that has no heritage, no, no ancestry at all, God says, listen, I'll make your house as great as David's. If you'll just worship and follow me. But fear rises up. That, he's got something that God gave him and he likes it. And so he's going to protect it himself. If I let those people go back to Jerusalem where they're supposed to worship, they're going to, that's, in, that's in Judah's territory. They're eventually going to go back to Rehoboam. And so I need to keep my people. I need, I need to keep my position. I've got to keep these people. So I'm going to make it, too e- I'm going to make it easy for them. And he sells them this package and they go into it. Now here's the tragedy, guys. The northern kingdom lasts 208 years. There are 19 total kings of the northern kingdom. Every single one of them is evil. And the reason why they're evil, it's given for each one. Same thing. They did not repent of the sins of Jeroboam. No leader after him could rise above that insecurity that would just allow people to go worship where God wanted them to worship. They had to keep them. It was all about keeping the people. 930 BC, the kingdom divides. 208 years later in 722 BC, the northern kingdom is destroyed. We'll talk more about that next week. Point three, the upper story today. Bless you. What is the upper story today? That's what happened in the lower story then. What, what, what is God doing today? Number one, God is drawing all people to Jesus. God is the king, and God can do it however he wants to do it. And God made one 
place of worship, and that is in Christ. He made one high priest, and that's Jesus. Listen to uh, 1 Timothy 5, or 2, 5, and 6. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Alice and I were at National Convention a couple of weeks ago that was in New York, and we're on our way back, and I'm on the aisle. I'm always on the aisle. Alice likes the window. That's in the marriage contract. The wife gets whichever seat she wants. And so I'm on the aisle, and it's, it's a very small plane, so the, the aisle is very thin, and there is a lady that's on the other, other aisle right, right near me, and she's going through this, these cards, these index cards. I think she's doing scripture memory. It looks like scripture memory. And so I just said, I said, hey, what are you doing with those cards? And she said, I'm learning German. And then she just goes right into the story. She said, um, my son married this woman in Germany, and she is going to be ordained as a Lutheran pastor, and we're going to go over there and visit them. So I am learning German. And I'm like, well, that's amazing. What's your background? What's your church background? Well, we were, I was raised... Southern Baptist. And uh, she said, but I'm not a, I'm not a Southern Baptist anymore. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Unitarian. And I said, well, tell me about that. Tell me how you became an, a Unitarian. She said, well, you know, as I grew up and as I became smarter and more intellectual, I realized, you know, all the religions are sincere and therefore all of the religions are equally true. And so it's not one religion, it's all the religions, all, everybody's going to the same place. I said, well, (laughs) I said, what do you think about the resurrection of Jesus? I said, do you believe Jesus rose from the dead? She said, "I, I, I don't know. And so I, gave, I, I went into some proofs that Jesus rose from the dead in history. And she's like, whoa, you, you've, studied, you've obviously studied this more than I have. And so we're, we're just talking about the uniqueness of Jesus and him being raised from the dead. And this guy in front of us turns around and he looks at me with fire in his eyes and says, your voice is projecting. Could you keep it down? <laughs> and what I wanted to say is, sir, if I'm silent, the rocks themselves will cry out. What I ended up saying was nothing. He just turned around. I'm just like, he turns back around. I turn back to the lady. I try to bring my voice down to respect his request. And we kind of end our conversation with me talking about 
you want to talk about intellect? Jesus only gave us three options intellectually about himself. Because Jesus claimed to be God, because Jesus said before Abraham was, I am, which the Jews understood, they picked up stones several times to kill him because he was saying he was God. He said, which work am I doing that you want to kill me? He said, oh, it's not because of your works. It's because you being a man claimed to be God. Jesus Christ claimed to be God. So you do not have an intellectual option to call him a good person or even a great prophet. Jesus, see us. Lewis made this. He's either a lunatic, he, he really thought he was God, but he wasn't, or he's a liar. He knew he wasn't God, but said he was, or he is Lord of all. He, he is and was Lord of all. Those are our only three options intellectually to do with Jesus. And it seemed like we were about done with the conversation, so I just, it, we just kind of turned and Thanks for talking, and about a minute goes by, and all of a sudden, I got a tug on my arm from the guy behind me now. (laughs) And he says, I wish you would have talked for two more hours. (laughs) God has drawn people Jesus said, if I be lifted up on that cross, I will draw all people to myself. God has made a place of worship, and it's Jesus. Any religion outside of Jesus, it's even when there's sincere people in it, it's just the nature of truth. The truth is narrow. I I asked the lady, I said, I said, I want you to consider how narrow truth is. I said, one plus one equals two. And you can have people that are very sincere that think it's three. But just because they're sincere does not mean they've got the right answer. There's only one answer in truth. And in spiritual things, Jesus is the answer. It's not a certain doctrine about Jesus. It's he himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. God is drawing all people today to Jesus, the place that he has made. He is the only high priest. Secondly, God is speaking to the insecurity in pastors. A few years ago, we had had a small group of people leave the church and Pastors, this is just a pastor's life. You know, you get, you got good things happening, and then you get a call, and somebody wants to see you, and and there, it's it's the goodbye call. It's it's the, we're going to go, we're going somewhere else now because of this, that, or whatever. And it, it's it was always it's always been very hard on me all the way through my ministry to not feel like a failure when somebody leaves the church. That. I wasn't good enough, the church wasn't good enough, we weren't doing enough, we weren't right enough, we weren't whatever enough. And, and, uh, and, and it's funny how our minds work because you can have 10 good things happen and one bad thing and you spend up dw- your time dwelling on the wrong, the, 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 the bad thing. And uh, we had an elder in our congregation brought this 
prophetic woman that he had a relationship with and she came to town and did, did something in his home. We actually went over to his home and um, something I think maybe at the Princeton Club and, and then I arranged it so that she could come and, and prophesy over the staff. And so we're in my office and she is just, just giving prophetic words and she gets to me and she says this. Stop dwelling on those who have left this church. Here's what the Lord says. For every one that has left, three are coming. And something changed in me. It's not the leader's job to keep the people. It's the leader's job to love the people. It's not the leader's job to try to control the people. Leaders are here to serve the people. And God didn't say I was going to bring in three for every one that was left. He was going to bring in three for every one that left. And that it was basically, you've got to do your part. Stop dwelling on your own feelings of failure and fear and start just focusing on serving people and loving people. I I will bring in those that need to come in and those that need to be here. And God unearthed insecurity. Here's the problem. When a pastor or a leadership team focuses on keeping people, especially in America, it's very tempting to change the message. It's very tempting to make the message more accommodating to people. The Bible says this in 2 Timothy, that in the end times, that people are going to surround them, they're going to have itching ears, and they're going to surround themselves with people that will tell them what they want to hear. And then then we're no longer serving. So Jeroboam says this to the people. This is how he gets them. It's too difficult for you to go all the way to Jerusalem. It's a long trip. I can save you money and time and expense. And we're going we're gonna to make it convenient for you. And they, there was three festivals that lasted 10 days at a time. And he, he has lasted shorter. And he brought in other priests. And he just, he, we just, we're going to make this something you guys like. Watch out. So here's Jesus, John chapter 6. Jesus is speaking. He's speaking some very hard things. How many know Jesus said some hard things? Many of disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Folks, Jesus loves you just how you are. You get to co- we get to come to him just as he is. But we do not have permission to change him. 
We don't have permission to change the message that he is calling us to. And when people said to Jesus, this is too difficult, we're leaving, Jesus did not chase them down and say, listen, I didn't mean it. It's not going to be that bad. Come on, guys. Come on. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. No. He turns to his disciples and says, you guys leaving too? I'm not. Jesus will not change for you. He won't change the message for you. He is who he is. And, and leaders, we're not, I'm not in charge of making this a big church. I'm in charge of telling the truth. God, does, God can do whatever he wants to do. So I got so blessed this week. I had lunch with a man. He told me what had happened to him a couple months ago in this church. And I, I, I was so blessed. I asked him if I could share it with everybody. He said, yeah, absolutely, share it. So he, he, we sit down. We had been trying to set this lunch up for a while. We, we sit down and he says... Uh, I'm one of your, he said, I was one of your pew sitters. I said, really? What's, what is that? What is that? What's a pew sitter? <laughs> and he said, I came here every Sunday and just sat. Listened to the message. He said, I even came to prayer meeting. And I, I, I sat through prayer meeting. And he said, and a few weeks ago, or a few months ago, you gave a message on being all in. That Jesus is all in. Jesus gave his life on the cross. And Jesus doesn't understand us being halfway in. Jesus doesn't understand lukewarm. He's all in, and his invitation is for us to come and follow him, to be all in, to give up our lives, to lay our lives down, and to follow him. And, and I was just talking about having to be all in, and he said, I told God that I wanted to be all in. And he said, Pastor Tom, something happened to me. He said, I had been an umbrella, this self-protection that keeps God from doing anything. And in a moment, I went from being an umbrella to a funnel. He said, there was an awakening in my heart. And he said, I cannot explain to you what's happened to me in the last two months. He said, it's like there's a fire burning continually in me. In a moment, God took him from being an umbrella to a funnel. So then he asked me permission to do something. He said, Pastor Tom, I get done. He told me what time he got done each day. He said, I want to come over two or three times a week, if it's okay with you. And I want to just pray over these pews. I, wa I want to pray that other people will experience what I experienced. I, I want to pray. I think this is the problem. I think we've got a lot of people that are religious and they take a pew, but, but they, they don't get it. And, and you can't make them get it. God has to show them. And that God wants to make us funnels. He wants to awaken our hearts and set a fire in each one of us. What is God doing today in the upper story? He's answering the prayer of Jesus. John 17, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world might believe that you have sent me. 
Max Lucado years ago at a pastor's conference down in Atlanta. He, all these pastors are uh, uh, from all over the United States, probably all over the world. And he said, I want you to do something for me. I'm going to count to three. And after I'm done counting to three, I want you to shout the name of your church as loud as you can. And he, he goes, one, two, three. And there is mass confusion as everybody gives the name of their church. You could not possibly understand what was being said. And he said, good, that was really good. He said, now I'm going to count to three again. And after I'm done counting to three, I want you to shout at the top of your lungs the name of your Savior. And he says, one, two, three. And the clearest, strongest voice came forth. Jesus. Jesus. The Father is giving the glory of Jesus, giving the revelation of his glory, giving his presence, his goodness, and he's putting it on his people for this purpose, to make us one. Even in all of our diversity and all of our different opinions and all of our different distinctives, Jesus is increasing in our midst so that those things that divide us seem very small compared to the greatness and the beauty and the power of who he is. And God's raising up out of the church in this hour a clear voice. The church till this time has given a very confusing voice to the world. So much so that the world thinks it's all different religions. You go to that church, well, that's your religion and this church is this religion. No, 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 no. Christianity is not about religion. Christianity is about Jesus. We might meet in different buildings, but there's only one church in Madison. Jesus. We're, we're, we, we're a church that loves the presence of the Holy Spirit. We want more of the Holy Spirit. Can I give you some advice if you really want more of the Holy Spirit? Here's what Jesus said in John 16. He said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will glorify me. You want to get more of the Holy Spirit? Then lift up Jesus. Don't lift up yourself. Don't lift up the name of this church. Don't lift up the name of a denomination. You lift up Jesus, and you're going to have more of the Holy Spirit. We're going to have more as we lift him up. The Father has given him the highest name the name in which all people have to be saved. And this is how I want to end. Why is it? Why is it that the Father has raised up this name? Why is this the only name? Because, guys, he's the king that is like no other king. Mark 10, 45. We started today by talking about a king that wanted to make the burden on people heavier, wanted to control the people, and it was all about that king. And Jesus said, listen, Mark 10, 44, he says, listen, the way you guys understand greatness, the way you understand somebody being great is to get a bunch of other people to serve you. But that's not what greatness is. In the kingdom of God, greatness is not who serves you, it's who you serve. And he says, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
Did you know that Christianity does not start, a relationship with God does not start with what you do for God? It starts with what God does for you. Jesus died on a cross for every one of us. He took those nails for our sins. He is the way we become right with God. In John 13, he's washing the disciples' feet, and he gets to Peter, and Peter says, No, Lord, you'll never wash my feet. You'll never take the place of a slave and wash my feet. And Jesus says this, Peter, if I don't wash you, if you don't allow me to wash you, you have no part of me. A few weeks ago, we had a prophetic word about Jesus was in the house to wash mud off people's hearts. If you want to be all in for God, if you want to become that funnel instead of an umbrella, I want you to know Jesus is here today to wake you up. He's here today to wash your heart. He is the one that makes us all in. We are willing to be all in. He is the one that creates it in us. And the reason why people are so afraid of being all in is it's going to be this heavy thing that I can't live up to and I'm I'm just going to fail. Listen, it's exactly the opposite of that. Jesus says in Matthew 11, 28-30, Come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm humble and gentle of heart. And you will find rest in your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is a king that has come to save us from ourselves. He's come, he's died for us. He's he's died so that we could be forgiven, but not just forgiven, so that we could walk a new life where we're no longer pursuing our name and our thing and our control, but we're allowing his kingdom to come, his will to be done. And we get a front row seat to see what he's gonna do. There's nothing better than this in the whole world, folks. Don't make a religion that is a watered-down religion that's convenient for you. And look, I get to be religious and still be selfish. It's still all about me, and I still get to do my religious thing. Get rid of that. God's calling us home, folks. Okay, so if we, we could have the worship team up. Uh, could we have every head bowed and eye closed? First call for prayer is this. You're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus. You know you've got mud on your heart, and you know you can't get rid of it yourself. Good news, Jesus came to die for you. The Bible says he stands at the door and knocks. If anyone hears his voice and opens the door, he will come in. He will wash you. He will cleanse you. He will make you who you need to be. So if that is you, Jesus is knocking on your door right now. You want to open the door and say yes. And would you just raise your hand real high right now long enough for me to see it? We're going to pray that prayer. I see that hand. God bless you. I see that hand, bro. God bless you. I see this hand over here. Thank you. 
If you raised your hand, would you just slip it over your heart right now and pray something like this? Lord, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you for knocking on my life and not just letting me go my own way. Jesus, you are all in, all in for me. Now, Lord, I ask you to come into my heart, wash away my sins, make me all in for you. I receive your gift of eternal life. I acknowledge my need to have you cleanse me. Cleanse me, Jesus, I pray. Amen. Could we stand to our feet? The second call, if you were completely honest, you feel more like an umbrella than a funnel. And you want God to wake something up in you. Maybe you feel cold and distant, even though you're religious. And you want God to wake something up. Would you just... Let's get our funnels open. open. Open your arms like a funnel, just like this. I just want to pray. Lord, something happened in this man that shared with me this week that had, had very little to do with the preacher. He just said, I'm all in. And all of a sudden, he was all in. You turned that umbrella over. God, sometimes religion keeps us away from you. It inoculates us from real relationship. Lord, we give you our religion. (laughs) We give you our thing, our life, our... And Jesus, we're coming to you. We're not coming to a church or a man. We're coming to you, Jesus. We want to learn from you. We want to become meek and humble of heart. We want to walk not in our control, but under your leadership. So break off that heavy yoke of self and self-centeredness and us trying to lift up our own name and our own thing. And Lord, like a banner, raise the name of Jesus over our lives. Lord, we don't want the rocks to cry out. We want to cry out. There's no one like him. No one is beautiful. No one is wonderful. So Jesus, come, pour your life in us and through us. For your glory and for our good, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen, Amen, guys. God bless you. Have a great week.